I'm talking too fast, okay. Hi, this is Agan Wukash, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design and much more. Our today's guest, Daniel Owsiański, is known for looking for everything that's dance. Although he is anything but dance. <laughs> What do you mean? He's deep. <laughs> He's a born entrepreneur, always working on the edge of design and technology. His company, Macoscope, designed an iPad app that was shown during one of the presentations of Steve Jobs as an example of a, an app that works well. As a follow-up, Macoscope's work has been featured in Tuaf, TechCrunch, The New York Post, Lifehacker and Fast Company, among others. Next to running his own business, Daniel is a VP of technology at Vault.io, a company that is building the global infrastructure for real-time payments. And he aims to build a self-sustaining engineering culture that is based on the principles of self-organizing teams. Daniel, awesome to have you with us today. Thank you. And a physical form, nonetheless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fine. It's been a long time to have someone we can actually see in 3D. <laughs> I must admit that my head is spinning right now because lots of those things that you mentioned, I try to recall if that really was the case. Most of them sounds like something that has happened in the past. <laughs> We have it quite often with our guests. If we pull out their past, they say, God, I've done a lot. <laughs> But of course, the flip side is that you, in this very moment, realize that you are getting older and older. So that's, that's, that's another aspect of it. Yeah, that's why the list gets longer and longer, right? <laughs> probably, probably. <it. laughs> Let me start with this. How did it feel to have Steve Jobs showing your production as one of the things that work well? Okay, uh, maybe uh, I will start with uh, telling that this is not the truth. Of course, I know that nowadays mentioning Steve Jobs makes a lot of sense from a marketing perspective. But if I remember correctly, that was just something as an accident because one of our app was presented during one of the shows that Apple did very intensively at the end of Steve uh, Jobs' uh, life. If I remember correctly, even that was a case when someone else pointed us that, uh, have you noticed that your app was so it's Steve Jobs during the presentation? <laughs> so it was true that he showed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, if we consider, you know, <laughs> the projector uh, as, a, as a part of the show. So. I'm sure the slides were very well curated. Maybe, yes, but uh, to be absolutely honest, I, I'm unable to find it. So I don't really remember <laughs> even which of the presentation event uh, was uh, involved with it. So, yeah, I know that had happened, but really I don't have the details. Maybe it tells something about me as well. Oh, probably. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> that means you must have built quite a lot of apps if you don't remember which one it was. Yes, and I remember that it was very often that this relationship with, uh, with Apple was, I would say, strictly from a marketing uh, standpoint. So the overall quality of the way how we try to be innovative in, uh, in this space not always was considered as something very important. I remember lots of tries that didn't work because they, they approached us to, to do something and that idea was totally stupid for us to be absolutely honest <laughs> here. So we, we decided to pass on it. That's, I would say, the real story behind this, this line. Okay, so I should probably add one extra thing describing Daniel. He's not beating around the bush with <laughs> his statements. No. I believe that uh, we have enough uh, quasi-truth uh, around us, so it's, it's, it's pretty okay to just be straightforward because life is very short and it, let's use it in the proper ways. So. 
<laughs> so much about depth and density, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Before you went on the record, you mentioned that some time ago you discovered this childhood dream about being an inventor. And your life is kind of evolving around inventing things. And this fulfillment of your life is all around that, isn't it? Yes, yes. That's most recent revelation that I, that I had just after we, we discussed that maybe I will be a proper guest for your podcast. I realized that the childhood dream of being an inventor without really those connections that we have right now, those large figures like Tesla or Edison, just a guy who, who is able to improve something, improve people's life, maybe improve the way we do some small thing, maybe uh, what my mother is doing in the kitchen or whatever, right? So so that was bread and butter for me to really think about those things and try to figure out how to do things a little bit different. And maybe important thing to mention is that all those things were in the days where I probably even didn't know what computer means. All those things were to totally connected with some physical machinery, I would say, something that maybe maybe has a motor inside, maybe not, maybe just playing the human strength this is as a, as a power source for this. Starting from this point onward, at some point I discovered computers or, or digital machines, and that probably was something that on one hand improved my way of thinking how these inventions can, can work or can look like. On the other hand, I moved to this whole digital space instead of staying in the physical space. Uh, let's face it, doing something in physical form is much, much harder than just dreaming this on your computer screen. And uh, at some point I realized that it was very forming for me to have this experience in the past with this reality. I mean, real tools, real materials, doing some stuff. Mostly, of course, it was without the success because most of my inventions, of course, was some, uh, somehow crazy or basically unable to work at all. But Probably then I also discovered that the true value in the process instead of just the result. And to this day, I see this as the, probably the most important thing that you can do with whatever you want to do. Just embrace the process because this is the best probably way to really shape something better next time. I also have some sort of connection between this and the very popular notion that only success matters, right? So we have all those business books that only tell good stories, that something that succeeded in, in business, in business idea or whatever else. I must say that I found this a little bit puzzling because for me, the failure is the best teacher, right? So if you try to do something awesome and it didn't work, this makes you, you know, wonder, okay, why? Maybe that's the reason, maybe, maybe something else and so on and so forth. But if you, on the other side, if you do something and it works from the get-go, what is the lesson from this, right? And of course, we all, getting older, we understand that this success is probably much more energetic fuel for those marketing uh, campaigns behind the books, behind the videos, behind the movies, whatever. But still uh, remembering that, that uh, doing something that basically is a failure can be very, very valuable lesson, uh, provided, of course, that we are learning from the mistakes, not, not doing them again and again. So yeah, that's how I connect those dots with uh, dreaming about uh, being an inventor when I was a kid to the time where right now, from time to time, I really feel that using computers right now, doing some new way how people can interact or, I know, think about things or, or maybe create something. This is something that I can somehow rely that it can be as a reality for me right now from this childhood dream. So this is, you know, dream come, come, come true. That was actually my surprise because... Uh 
you said that you recently realized that. And I said like, yeah, but then your whole life is actually showcasing <laughs> that you've been doing this all along. <laughs> yeah, but I somehow lost this or replaced this with uh, being an entrepreneur. I feel that somewhere along this journey, I, I switched these meanings and uh, maybe started to think that if you are considering yourself to be an entrepreneur, it means that you are an inventor. This is totally wrong. This is not exactly how, how you should perceive those things. So the inventor part of me is larger, I would say, than being an entrepreneur. So if you try to look at these two figures from the past, Edison versus Tesla, so it's a very clear distinction between them exactly along this line, right? One was this very famous, in fact, businessman, Edison, right? And the other was this inventor that basically, if I remember correctly, didn't end very well. So, of course... Loving uh, a pigeon, right? That's what the Big Bang Theory teaches us, yes. <laughs> yeah, I see this distinction very clearly and I'm not so sure if uh, I would say Tesla way of doing things is so far away from me. I, I somehow understand and somehow think that this is kind of interesting, despite, of course, being very hard to make this a reality for you, especially when you're living in the real world, right? You need to earn money to, you know, feed your family, to do some interesting stuff, even to buy tools if you, if you really think about yourself as an inventor. I have a little story which reconfirms what you said. I remember, not where you are now, but I think one or two jobs before, you were designing a banking app and you wanted to have a new UI or a different useful UI for it. And I remember you showed me on the phone and it was like loosely based on a piece of paper with basically typing. And I thought it was freaking brilliant. It was really good. And I thought there is a business behind it. I mean, it, it was, it was really very innovative for me. It looked very natural, very user-friendly. And then we discussed whether it can be a business. I remember at least you saying, well, you know, but it was under a contract with this other company. Well, let's move on. That sounds to me exactly like this Tesla Edison thing. Oh, this is something brilliant. Yeah, you know, but that is already invented. Let, let's move to something else. <laughs> let's Let somebody else make some business out of it, right? Probably the true story is a little bit more complex. Back in the day, I was hired to create something that would be unique on the mobile devices for this particular business. And uh, that's another uh, interesting throw-in that uh, the process was for me far more interesting how to get there. And once we get there, the result was, let's say, exactly as I expected. So, <laughs> But the process was uh, for me, uh, is still for me far more interesting because I, if I remember correctly, we started with this, uh, with this notion, okay, what if you have only two colors on your screen, right? Now this large palette of colors, now those you know, retina screens and so, so forth how far you can push this uh, solution only using this very harsh limitation. So uh, I guess all people that are somehow related to the design know that limitations allows you to be very creative. And that was exactly the case. Using only those two colors, we were able to build really, really amazing, amazing stuff, probably covering all needs that you can imagine if you think about a financial application, a bank application, charts, messages, error messages, whatever. We were able to cover everything with this black and whitish approach. Of course, some tricks here and there. And so I'm thinking that nowadays, maybe it's a little bit easier than it was in the days of Tesla and, and Edison, because uh, there are businesses or people that really understand the value of allowing their people to really do innovative work. And then considering this as an input in the next phase, as an input to the process that can turn this innovation into real product. 
quite often this this innovation can be this one tiny ingredient of something much larger that is a product but i have the feeling that right now it's it's much easier to to find a place when you have this creative freedom to really try to do something innovative accounting with a little bit of luck this can be converted into into product maybe not in 100% matching the initial idea or, or the result of the process but uh, still you have a chance to uh, to create something that can be really useful for real people instead of uh, being this proverbial Tesla when you create something and you just put it in a drawer. But when you mention innovation and process, at least for me, it means that you are probably not doing this on your own. You're doing this with a team or at least with other people. How do you go about that? Because that is not necessarily easier these days. At least me and Naga, we managed to glimpse the last years breaths. of the <laughs> breaths of the big industrial research. And that was easy because you will have a couple of hundred people from all kinds of different backgrounds and like all brilliant. And you just, you know, bumped into someone at the lunch table and they said, what are you doing? This and this. Hey, this reminds me. Let's try something here. So that we lost, right? Oh my, this is very, very complex topic for me because on one hand, We have this, I would say, popular notion of this crazy inventor that is you now living in his own lab and basically is able to build atomic plant with some scraps from the table, right? Of course, we know that this is not the reality, but the question is, is, is the reality in total opposite side? So is the reality the case when you need to have something like 10,000 people in innovative company that doing some innovative stuff? And I think, as always, it depends. So like, it's easy for me to imagine that few of things that I'm very proud of were created basically in my head alone, maybe even turned into reality to some degree with my own hands alone. And uh, on the other side, I remember things that were built as a team and the result was also awesome. So the, the question is maybe the nature of the problem somehow should be reflected in the sizes of the team. But thinking about being innovative and, and, and teams and sizes of the team and how this works. I have this strange feeling, maybe not totally justified, but this is just a feeling that we are now in this crazy days when the teamwork and the team is a magic word that is being used to express how to build something that probably will be the best possible uh, that is, right? That's why we have all those large teams that uh, every single position in the process is somehow related to the design. And for me, that's something that is totally wrong because I, I totally understand how difficult it is to communicate especially very soft and very shapeless yet ideas from one head to another head and if you consider you know multiplying this by tens maybe even small team let's say five people ten people it's for me very hard to imagine how you can be very very creative and very innovative in larger teams but again I take this as a maybe my my limitation but yeah my, my experience is rather that uh, Very unique stuff is built in few brains together, not tens of them. Mm -hmm. But of course, I'm not talking about physical things. Maybe that's the that's thing that, that, that make the difference here. I'm talking about something that is more digital than, than real. So it's hard for me to imagine that, you know, five guys will invent new way of building, let's say, again, atomic plant, right? Or a spaceship or something like this. This is basically probably way too complex to, to, to consider this that way. But... Uh, In this very moment, I'm always thinking that maybe this is the space when really computers should be used properly. I mean, maybe computers should be equipped with the proper software that really could allow us to be 
cosmically, you know, creative in small teams. Mm -hmm. So maybe the future could be like you and your friends uh, are building something like a, let's say, atomic plant using some specialized software that allows you to, to really be effective in this, in this uh, aspect. Just to uh, explore this notion of team a little bit more, correct me if I'm wrong, the app that we just mentioned, that is something that you did with a team, right? A team of two. Oh, <laughs> team of two. Okay, anyway, how do you find these people that you can co-invent with? Because as you said, it, it's quite tough and you have to be compatible in a very special way, probably don't know. This is also what Alan Kai says uh, when he's mentioning uh, Xerox Park. There used to be a solution for innovation. You just take brilliant people, not teams, brilliant people, and you just slam them together and just, you know, Look the door. once in a while, something great will come up. We don't have such comfort anymore. So I guess in the past you have found people or chosen people that somehow were compatible with your invention, I don't know, gene or something like this. How do you do this? Well, I think that you touched the answer for this. The brilliant people, not the teams. When you have brilliant people and you consider them as being brilliant on some level, on some area, right? Mm -hmm. Either as a designer, maybe as a developer, maybe as a, I don't know, brilliant organizer. Probably this is alone enough for you to shape something that we call a team but not in a way that we are used to it right now. I think what you are mentioning that the teams are popular, these are more of a delivery teams. So this is, at least my impression is that it's less risky to bet on a small group of people, like seven plus or minus two mm -hmm. seems to be the number that they will basically work really well together rather than finding people who are brilliant in some respect, because all these people have traded, right? Absolutely. And then you have to bet on a star person that is super special and then you cater for them with everything that you do. Let's treat it as uh, two different ways to get stuff done. But I don't think it necessarily holds for inventions and doing like inventive stuff that we are trying to address now. I would like to be sure that we are talking about inventions, quote unquote, right? Because uh, let's face it, right? The building in the app, it's not an invention that can change people's life, right? My invention at this level, I understand, you know, making a new drug that helps really solve some uh, social issues, right? So let's say this is the invention uh, rather by, you know, lower letter. If I understand your question correctly, the question was how you know that those guys can help you move this needle a little bit farther than you alone. My answer probably is you don't know. Just try, embrace the process. Let's try to do something with them. Maybe something smaller, maybe something crazy, maybe something from their past will be enough input for you to really consider them as maybe this is something that this extra value that can be created when we start working together. And if I look back, I guess every single time it was something like this, some magical form of connection that suddenly you think about something and the other guy started to do it exactly because he thought that, okay, this is the way to do it, right? So I don't have a recipe, mm -hmm. but I know when I see this, right? So, so maybe that's another aspect and probably I have some heuristics how to try to find this proper match. Of course, this is very rare to be absolutely uh, you know, honest uh, about this. Sometimes we, we can have something like next to it, right? Something that is also pretty, pretty nice, but probably that situation, the whole work organization needs to be a little bit different. Probably then you have the situation that someone needs to be this workhorse and those guys will be around this single guy. And I also experienced a situation when uh, from time to time those guys started to be those brilliant ones. 
So maybe that was some lack of freedom, maybe some lack of courage because of their experience, whatever, right? When you confirm that, okay, making mistakes, uh, trying new things, uh, I don't know, doing something crazy or, or asking questions and, and so on and so forth, slowly, slowly starts to allow people to really uh, think, okay, we can do it as a team. I would like to come back to this idea of conveying ideas mm -hmm. because you're very right that, especially if you are thinking about something that's not generally known, understanding what you have in mind is a very difficult thing for another person or another group of people. And what we often do is that we try to explain it. So we are staying in this verbal abstract domain of conveying what we have in mind, which basically generates more problems than not. <laughs> Are there other ways to do it that work better? Let me return to this and maybe I'll make some extra notes about some things that recently were my focus lens. How we can forget about things that were in the past and obviously are pretty good solutions for several problems that we have, let's say, in computing space. And I'm saying right now about things that are something like 40, 50 years old. And suddenly, because of I don't know market forces or some magical dark forces hidden in the market or whatever, disappeared from the surface of the earth. Could you give an example? The things that were invented around programming languages, but not as something that make you I know programming as a engineer, but helping, for example, kids to be far more effective in understanding how computer works and and uh, how the machine works in in general. You mentioned about uh, Xerox Park and uh, Alan Key, and this is exactly around those days. And I'm kind of surprised that all those information or ideas back from those days are probably mostly unknown to the young generation of software engineers. They are focused on the most recent version of, I don't know, Node.js or whatever as we have right now, and uh, basically don't have this connection that could allow them to really move things forward in totally different area. And I don't understand what is the reason here. Maybe, as I said, this market forces is something that really changes uh, this landscape because at the end you need to have something like a product. This product needs to have some extra marketing and so on and so forth. And this is something that you are exposed to as an engineer as well. So maybe this is how your brain is being shaped uh, if you're not uh, careful enough and dive deeper. Returning to your question, how to convey ideas, Besides speech, I guess uh, we can use several other uh, tools that we have at our disposal. One of those tools is computers itself. So you can try to visualize things that you, that you try to convey from one brain to another. Maybe build a prototype. You can build a prototype that can help you, for example, visualize the different connections between parts of the things that are part of, of the solution. So we can imagine something like a diagram that is more or less living thing. So you can change it here and see what is the result there. And then you can use this as a part of your explanation, right? I believe that this is not very different from the days when we were living in a caves. Basically, the tools are very similar. Our brains are probably a little bit more akin to deal with abstract uh, information. So in that form, it's easier probably. So I believe that this is most of the time enough to really try to convey this idea. Another aspect that we are probably also very often forget about is time. So my, my experience shows that quite often this proper transfer requires several tries. So 
you have first try and probably something that you said is totally understood as some, something totally different. Maybe then a prototype, maybe another talk and another prototype. Maybe you need to hear from this you know, recipient of the message how he, she thinks about the solution, thinks, idea. And that's how it works. So time is this crucial tool as well. So a process again. Yeah, I wanted to go back to that because even if we stick to speech, there are still many different ways and different shapes that you can try to do this, right? I mean, we had a few conversations for the last few months. And I remember the, the question that you came with me about this process of rebuilding this specific process of, of, of shaping an organization. And I remember first time we talked about this, you didn't want to give me any details. You just asked me to read the book and come back to you with an explanation of what I have read. That. And we only talked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So time is one thing, but again, this process plays a role there. I guess you're touching something a little bit different. I have this feeling sometimes almost sure that this is the reality that it's very often there is some extra gravity connected to how you try to explain something to the other person. And we know about all those biases that we have in our brains. So I try to actively avoid launching them if it's only possible. So in this particular case, that was exactly my motivation to not tell you what I think is the most important part of this book, but I rather allowing you to, you know, guess for yourself. And then I will have unbiased, I would say, information from you and from my brain, and I can, you know, connect them and we can discuss about this. Okay, this is similar, this is not similar. Why? Mm -hmm. And we can, we can move this forward. So maybe this, uh, returning to this, how to convey the, uh, the message, being aware of this communication process is something that is really important as well, because especially in, uh, I would say, work-life uh, situation, when you have some kind of hierarchy involved, it's very, very easy to skew the result of what you would like to achieve from your very brilliant team, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember, Aga, I think it was this week or last week, you were on the phone with someone. They wanted to test some web changes and they wanted to explain to people how it's <laughs> done and you told them, well, but there are more ways to do this. And then you said something about like code discovery that you let yes. people play with it, let them tell you what they think, how it relates to other stuff. And then you can shape your explanation on their terms rather than yours, right? Yeah, it was basically a test of a new solution. And uh, the idea was that you give people the access to the prototype and they are supposed to tell you what they see. But of course, it feels like an exam. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to explain as well as they mm -hmm. can what they see, which not necessarily is the reality when they are using the solution in the real life. Of course. So what I suggested was to put two people together in a situation of a conversation, mm -hmm. so like two users, mm -hmm. and you are just observing. They have to discover and figure out what it is all about. Mm -hmm. And from this conversation, you get insights. There's still a little bit of an exam mm -hmm. in it, mm -hmm. but uh, most of it is taken away because people think, okay, now we have a team <laughs> to, to kind of unpack it together. And therefore it feels like you have a, a body in the process. So it's easier and therefore you get much more unbiased information about what they are seeing. Mm. 
Yeah. A few months back, someone asked me, uh, can you name one of the most important books in your life that you ever read? And then for me, this Thinking Fast and Slow, Kahneman Tversky, is one of those books because this is something that was totally crazy for me, that we really have a part of our brain so strong to shaping our behavior, our way of thinking, and so on and so forth. So all those biases are, are basically around this topic. So being aware of them doesn't make you much more safer, but from time to time, being aware, you can at least try to lower the chances that they will fire up. That's another uh, interesting aspect of this you know, communication and conveying ideas, whatever this idea is, right? It, it shouldn't be exactly around innovation. It can be all other ideas as well, right? That reminds me of conversation that we already had in this season. And someone took this metaphor even further. And uh, I think the metaphor was that our brain, the conscious brain thinks it's the executive office <laughs> while it's a press office. <laughs> you post-rationalize the invisible and uncontrollable stuff. <laughs> that brings me to another thing that you mentioned before we, we started this conversations, which is that with your experience as a team lead, as a person who is leading groups of people, you realize that sometimes the best strategy is to stay quiet. You already started mentioning it in the situation of the chiratical setup where the highest paid person, so mm. the hippo effect, gets to be the right one. Mm. But I guess there might be more to staying quiet. There are several tricky mechanics that I think can fire up when you stay quiet and let's say room expects you to say something. First is probably there is a some kind of risk related with this being quiet, so people are not so sure maybe they should say something and they start to think, okay, maybe I can, I know, rephrase what I was thinking. Maybe I just start to think about the solution because, you no, know, I expected that uh, he or she will tell me what to do. I have this examples in my head that I remember cases when I almost felt that this is happening. So people start to really think this time because it's expected from them to say something that is somehow connected to the topic at hand. I don't like the silence at all, but uh, that was very, very conscious uh, decision on my side to really practice this, to be able to sustain this uh, silent period somehow. And uh, yeah, and the results are very amazing because suddenly people start to understand that they can speak, they can really have ideas. So that for me, one of the, uh, let's say, tricks, nothing very fancy, but quite often works very well. You mentioned that it's not easy to stay quiet. Yeah. Actually, the funny thing is, what I'm saying to myself is always, you have to train yourself to stay the longest quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, exactly, yeah, that's 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 enough. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I guess it's even more difficult when the problem is not so unique for you. So you almost know what is the proper answer. That's, I guess, is the most difficult uh, case, right? You need to stay quiet because you are playing a larger game, right? Allow them in the future to know something that you, you won't know, right? Yeah. And I guess this is something that, as a result, is always net positive. Keeping your mouth uh, shut and then wait till guys will invent something needed for the purpose of the conversation. Yeah, because if they invented what, what you've known all along, mm -hmm. at least they arrived at it, and maybe they will say something that you weren't aware of. Or connect right? this or connect this in some different <laughs> yeah, way, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. I think sometimes it's very, very nice to play dumb. So you ask someone, okay, but I don't really understand this and uh, can you mm. really explain me, you know? And of course this is somehow more difficult for guys who has this I would say higher role in this in this particular setup. 
because most of us probably don't like consider themselves to be somehow stupid among peers or be uh, considered as such. But I see this as a very nice tool as well. This way people maybe have a chance to shorten the distance to you because, okay, the guy is not as a godlike figure, it's regular human being, maybe he's, you know, has a bad day or whatever. That's one thing. And the other thing is, of course, explaining something is something that, as we all know, is the best way for us to learn new stuff as well. So this is the way that people start to think, okay, I think that the problem is like this and you should do that and this will work. And then they will start to realize, okay, this is not the way to go and go back and figure out something even better. Sometimes, I guess, for some people can be even more difficult than being quiet. Uh, in my case, it's not a problem. I like this approach as well because it's, it's funny. But I guess uh, it depends on a, on a particular person. The other tool, maybe a little bit more technical, is to totally flip uh, the way the communication flows. So if you're talking, start drawing, right? If you're drawing, start to do some that moves, right? Maybe some small animation, maybe, you know, some just animation uh, with your hands or whatever, right? If uh, all those things are happening, maybe you need to meet in person. Nowadays, it's another tool, right? Before COVID, we probably didn't have a little bit more than, than meeting in person. Now it's a tool. And in fact, we are using this as a, think, uh, yeah. using yeah. this really, really, really as a tool in my current work environment having this in a workshop as a way to solve problems and workshop means that meet in person real life real people real place and spend some time together and this is properly selected as a problem solving tool covid somehow showed us uh, that uh, video conversations are pretty nice but the range is somehow limited right you only see of course part of human body you don't see the whole body language and so on so forth not to mention this ability of walking and talking and using cards or tools that you have on your on your table to shape something, right? To to explain explain bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a few tools that I had on top of my mind. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears for a moment. There is this notion that contrasts doers and thinkers. What do you think about it? I think that. There are places where the distinction really makes sense. And those places are probably, let's say, old ones. I mean, more established way of doing things or thinking about or solving problems. But my first impression on this is that, let's say, more general sense computers uh, somehow destroyed the border between those two ways of doing things. So the whole idea of using computer at, at the very beginning was to really help thinkers do something, right? Maybe not uh, as a real-life thing, but close enough to allow people that really know how to do things, they will just do it on the basis that are you know, produced by the computer. So all this computer-aided design uh, and, and so on and so forth is for me something that was intentionally designed to, to really build a bridge between those two areas. And still, I guess, this is the game that is being played because I guess with every new, let's say, invention or new problem that we have at hand, there is more and more need to connect proper thinking with proper doing things. Uh, it's, I guess, kind of uh, easy to explain because thinking also means that you probably need to have access to all the knowledge that is already gathered on the topic or new ways to visualize the knowledge or find the spaces that are not explored enough, for example, right? On the doing uh, part of things, uh, probably you have new materials, new way of building stuff, new way of testing them if they work correctly, right? New way of, I know, simply producing this, them. I can easily imagine, I know, 3D printing as a, as a part of this bridge, right? 
So you think about some unique solution for some particular problem, maybe even health related, for example, and you can print some part that can be put inside uh, our bodies, for example, right? And I think that incoming problems at the large scale, I mean, you know, all these problems with weather, with how we deal with the large amounts of people moving from one part of the earth to, to the other, that will be large problems that probably without proper using of machine power, we won't be able to solve in a realistic sense, right? So. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, I would say, the most obvious connection. But still, I can imagine that there are places where those two areas are somehow disconnected, and that's probably okay as well. Maybe the question is how effective you would like to be, and if you have this bridge between those two areas, very broad and very nice to walk, probably you can be far more effective in solving some larger problems even. Right? Although I always have a, an impression that this is a representation of a hierarchical way of uh, doing things in terms of command and control. So like you are the thinker thinking about the large vision and then you've got your little soldiers and the soldiers are supposed to make things happen. So it's a different perspective on that. And I've been recently presenting at a leadership conference where I was talking about uh, a scientific mindset as a way to approach problems like thinking in experiments rather in solutions and promising solutions. There was one person who asked me whether having an authoritarian decision-making process isn't better for different situations. And of course, obviously, when you are in the middle of a very chaotic situation when nothing works and you don't understand what's going on, probably the smartest person in the room might actually guide you in a certain direction and give you an idea that you can try out, but maybe not. But at the same time, as you mentioned Kahneman and uh, neuroscience as, as a domain, there is a very well-known experiment, which is called the gorilla experiment that shows us that we only see 5% of what's around us. So for me, the answer was that if you are the thinker, I'm talking about the authoritarian thinker, this very old school way of approaching it, you only generate solutions from this very narrow tunnel perspective that you've got without really getting all the informations that you mentioned before from the silence and from the other tools that you were talking about. At the same time, I also have an impression that whenever a thinker is not doer at the same time, they don't often understand how much it takes effort, materials, time, you name it, to actually create things. And therefore, sometimes it ends up with very unrealistic expectations. But at the same time, I see that we have a lot of doers. So people who are going like, okay, let's code, let's just do it without really giving it enough thinking about what problem are we solving? Do we solve it in a way that doesn't generate bigger problems, which is often the case and so on and so forth. So yeah, there is a balance, isn't there? Obvious answer is, as always, uh, (laughs) or or it depends, of course. But my first impression was that maybe I'm wrong, you totally, but uh, I have the feeling that more and more natural way for us to deal with problems or solving problems is not to use hierarchy as a part of the solution, right? Probably it was okay-ish in old days when the communication was a problem, It was hard to imagine how you can have other way to deal with uh, uncertainty and so on and so forth. 
Nowadays, as we can see, we can build a group of people working together despite uh, large distances. And uh, all these agile exercises, however we like them or not, forces more and more people to consider there are other ways of working together. Not only we have a boss and boss tell us what to do, right? We have asked questions, we have we can consider or go back and step back from the problems. We can try things, not build them uh, at once and so on and so forth. So my understanding is that maybe all these distinctions were good in the past and we are slowly getting to the moment where either we will be forced to really uh, use total capacity of our brains because the problems that will be ahead of us, I mean, let's say cosmic scale, right? So, so the weather, for example, right? Or there will be some uh, discrete problems that can be or are the best solved as a, something that a hierarchical uh, system uh, will do, right? So it's easy to imagine that there are systems that don't require lots of you know inventions that needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you need to take care of you know garbage or something like this, it's not not, not many things you can you can think about it. You know how to improve the process. It just needs to get things done. But yes, I understand uh, what you said about this. If you are doer. I know this from my own experience as well. It's very often the case when you really want to see the result in reality. So it means that you cut corners to really make this happen and show me how it how it works. And if that's the end of, of the road, that's probably a very risky situation. But if you have this feedback loop, so you have the chance to go back and, okay, let's rework this or fix this uh, this way or that way, that's probably not so bad. In the same time, when I'm thinking about thinkers, I see this as a little bit different case. I can imagine a situation when if you consider yourself as a thinker, you may, for example, allow yourself to be far more hungry for new inputs in totally different places that potentially didn't look like uh, something that can have solution. And uh, all those, you know, very basic research are exactly from this area. I guess this is something that is missing or looks like it's missing right now. We are doing all those goal-oriented research, very goal-oriented uh, things that needs to be at the end, somehow okay to be marketable, right? Something that can be converted, you know, into product. I had this strange observation from the plane. It's funny because you know you have in plane a business class and economic class, right? Why there is no science class, right, or art class? Very interesting. We are somehow formed to expect that business always knows better, right? Mm-hmm. Bullshit. It, it, basically, this is the result why we ended up where we are, right? Of course, that's small details, but uh, as we know from Kanemotarski, they shape the way we, we understand and we expect things to happen, right? Yeah, and now there we are, right? <laughs> they created the bias. <laughs> yes. I can go back to the thinkers for one more, one more thought. I really think that this is somehow even maybe more important to really consider this as a really important skill. Because uh, if you have this freedom of critical thinking as a probably basic tools that you can have as a thinker, you'll be somehow naturally protected against all this fake news, fake propaganda, things that don't exist or just put in front of you just to make some action out of you, right? So so maybe in some way it's even more important right now than, than doing it itself, right? Because do it yourself right now or do something right now, it's a little bit easier than it was in the past. We have machines, we have, we have proper materials and so on, so for computers that can help you. And uh, regarding the thinking, more or less we are exactly in the same, in the same space but we don't have enough time, right, to think about other ways of doing things. Yeah, that's a really critical one. Mm. And this is connected to the fact that we kind of ended up in a situation when efficiency and productivity are the core values Trump's in everything, society. absolutely. Mm. And as we know, uh, biology is not efficient, <laughs> right? 
and at the end we have a whole planet full of very effective though yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think this is always the best way of thinking and or solving problems i mean having this freedom of unbiased exploration somehow maybe limited by time maybe if we want to have something that limits us uh, let's put time in this in this box that can help us really do some amazing stuff because suddenly you can connect something that you you never thought that can be connected and uh, if you think about uh, being effective i guess this is somehow resembles me the story about how our brains work when we're sleeping and when we are awake and doing doing stuff so the, the story basically was that when you are awake and do stuff that the whole brain is optimized to find the shortest possible pass between between uh, neurons to make you do things actively and fast when you on opposite side when you sleep the brain is optimized or, or switches to, into the mode that uh, that tries to find the longest possible pass between uh, neurons that's how creativity works because suddenly you are able to connect things that basically you have no chance to be connected when you are awake and do something yeah. So mm-hmm. for me, that's the same the same distinction between you know, be, being very time effective or, or effective in general versus I don't know. Let's play with it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the spectrum goes even further because when I think about the companies that I have seen that say technically they have the biggest problems, the atmosphere there is always rush, rush, rush. So it's not even about doing some inventive stuff. You need enough time to do something properly at all, like in the first place, right? Because these cutting corners can go basically too far. And then if you are pressed for time, you just take the, the simplest possible step. And often you know there is a price to be paid, you know, later on, but you don't pay it back and then it piles up and then you end up really in a situation where you have just one way out. You have to like invest big or close down. I guess that's the gravity, especially gravity of software, right? Yeah. The funny thing is, of course, that this is not uh, that you as a software developer uh, should be aware of this. We are aware of this totally, right? So the problem is always with this management put in this place where suddenly you think that there is no time for you to spend on this. And using Agile probably can allow us also manage the situation a little bit better, right? It's not always the time that you need to deal with all this complexity. Maybe you you could pause this for a second and cut some corners here and there, but you need to always remember, okay, this is kind of a debt, right? That's why we have this tag, that uh, idea, right? My general feeling about this is that right now software already ate the whole world, right? So all those nature that is totally ingrained with the, how software is being created, how it's developed, uh, slowly to be far more obvious to the guys that make those business decisions, right? I'm somehow optimistic that will be the situation either you are aware of those things and allow people to do their, their job a little bit better than it was before, or you basically die because right now there is no more options than, than software for you if you are thinking about building new product, new, new service, right? So there is always some software part of this. Let's switch gears again, because you talk quite a lot about technology. And again, before we went on the record, uh, we've been uh, discussing the situation with the social media, which is (laughs) uh, complex. (laughs) (laughs) Since it seems to be a little bit of a topic that comes back through the conversations we are having in the season, I was wondering, how do you see this topic evolving to be absolutely honest the problem with social media made me 
think about this notion of is technology something that really help us to be you know better humans on this planet and uh, probably for most of my life i thought that this is the reality that's why we are inventing new stuff on the technology technology ground but now i'm probably far more pessimistic about it i don't see much more progress or much more good things that technology brought to us and social media is this I would say total counterexample of this, right? So I, I really remember from my personal history that the moment when all those ideas about social networks was was the first interesting ideas. Those stories about connecting people across different uh, countries, different continents, and so forth, building this, those networks that will be interesting and you know you will know people and do some interesting stuff with them. And again, then suddenly everything was converted into money making machine. Uh, with some special uh, you know, metrics put here and there and uh, slowly, slowly all those hidden connections that we had as a society, as the humans even, started to, to be you know, dissolved or disappear completely, right? And or exploited. For me, that's how they were de de destroyed, basically, right? To the point when we can think about US president more or less elected with the help from you know, Russia using you know, technology invented to protect the uh, US against uh, nuclear war. So that's mm. crazy, crazy you know, flip on the, on the reality. So uh, your question was if uh, that's enough. Probably in the past I would answer yes. Right now I'm not so sure. I think that uh, people en masse are moving much more slowly than smaller groups and uh, I guess there's lots of money to be lost here so probably it won't be that easy and again probably it's, it's another you know Gaussian distribution or something like this so people searching for uh, new ways of dealing with reality we are facing right now with the communication with problems with communication will find their ways to, to build something that will work for them but I guess most of the people especially when we cut this by age as well will stay on the platforms that we have already Hopefully it won't be as effective business-wide, so that will be the natural you know, death for those platforms. And of course we need to remember about younger generations. I remember somehow I read a very interesting observation that every young generation want to have this login without extra numbers, John, one, two, three, four, five, just John, right? And to really maintain this need, you, you, you need to have something new for them, right? So that's why we, in recent years we see those new platforms that basically pop up uh, and uh, with some extra money involved, reality allows them to be large enough to really have this network effect. But still, overall, I don't think that this is very good uh, invention, I would say. If you were to look back into the last weeks or months, What is the thing that you did that you are the proudest of? Oh, difficult question. I guess it's related to uh, the company that I'm working right now, Vault.io, because I really were able to manage growth of the company with uh, maintaining the proper culture that I really wanted to maintain without any large mistakes yet. And of course, now it looks like uh, something that is okay and it, it works, but uh, as always, Probably somewhere along the way was hundreds of thousands of decisions that uh, pushed us into this position. So yeah, I can be somehow proud of this. Mm -hmm. But uh, as always in, in situations like this, you need to remember that this is not a job of one single guy, right? So I tend to think that more often than not, I was basically, you know, uh, quiet. I didn't uh, say anything and the result is so nice. That's, that's the tough part that you mentioned at the beginning. Maybe, right? maybe. Yeah, yeah. So the quality is that's the proper, than That's action. proper work. You know, you exerted effort and it was tough. Yes. Yeah. 
If you think about uh, this uh, building teams or building new stuff, there is always someone who pays for this. And I guess this is something that maybe we didn't touch too much here. There is always some kind of freedom that you need to also have uh, from the guys who are paying you, right? Some level of understanding or trust, right? So I don't know exactly what you are doing, but I hope it will be okay. So this is take your money and, and do whatever you feel it's, it's, it's okay. And uh, I guess this is something that is very often we are missing this from the picture, right? Like you said yourself, you are a doer. And doers always have some tricks to do things or to get things into the world. What are yours? I think I have few. I realized uh, recently that I really have some kind of uh, research routine. Uh, if I dig uh, about something new, I have some predefined way of doing things and it more or less works for me. I developed this very vital notion of time, so I I understand you know how times can be easily wasted, never saved, and uh, that's why I try to do some tricks to protect uh, the time. Pomodoro technique, for example, right, was the case when I invented that even having this 20 minutes uh, slot, I can really do something. Before that, I was absolutely sure that you know if you have less than I know few hours, there is no chance for you to do do anything. Starting playing with Pomodoro, I discovered that in the most productive days of that I had, there's maybe something like I you know ten ten Pomodoros done or something like this. Mm, maybe some set of tools on my machine that I have that helps me to to deal with with the research problems that I have. Yeah, so that's basically those things that I have in mind right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe one more thing. I'm very vivid user of iPad and, and the pencil, and for me this is really a tool for for thinking. I don't even have the email configured there. I have three applications probably installed on this on this machine, and all of them are, are basically endless canvas for me to draw in things and then do some notes and then stuff like this. If you were to recommend a book to our listeners about getting the inventor's mind, or about just you know bringing things to the world that are of quality what would that be my first thought is why we sleep this book was pretty amazing for me because uh, for a very long time i was thinking that uh, six hours sleep for me is enough but you know reading this book i, I realized that this is absolutely not true and i even started to understand the, the whole mechanics that is behind it why we are thinking that it's okay for us How we are able? How we fool ourselves? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So those two extra hours are not wasted. That's what you want to say <laughs> between the six and eight. <laughs> Once I read this book, I started to look back on my previous experience in some, you know, tough moments or uh, or tougher moments, and I discovered that, for example, maintaining sleep in those moments was something that allowed me to be effective despite the, the whole problems around it and then the, the tension uh, about it. So. With proper sleep, you can have this proverbial 100% of your brain power at your disposal. Daniel, thank you for this. Thank you. Uh, dense and deep conversation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We would love to hear from you on Twitter at Malka6 and at DLS6. You can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com. Try the best of your abilities, first recognizing them and then just using them in the best possible way, despite the whole you know, environment around you or maybe circumstances or maybe, I know, the place in life where you are.